Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Chai Noon, and we are in crazy times. Before I wanted to start this episode, I just want to give a big shout out to all the people who are working in New York, because we have a decent New York and California and UK and Indian audience. And uh, shout outs to you who are going through a really difficult time right now. My state has not personally been locked down, but I imagine it's going to be happening relatively soon. But um, we are on a pretty interesting guest because I think his advice will be very relevant. We have Narish Visa of Christian Media and Marketing. How are you doing today, man? Not locked down, but I'm coming to you from Tampa, Florida, and there are rumors that we're going to get locked down within the next couple of days. And if you're in Connecticut or New Jersey, you're very likely going to get locked down within the next couple of days as well. Yeah. My parents are in Connecticut and they've been locked down and I'm in Rhode Island and the tone is getting serious to get locked down. But yeah. And of course, as always, Hanuk's here. What's up, dude? I'm in lockdown in London. <laughs> no, they officially locked it down? <laughs> well, don't do anything that you can do outside if you can stay home instead. Okay. Yeah. So that's not, I mean, here in the US, it's a lockdown. Like New York, if, if you're seen congregating with, with friends, like, fooling around, the cops will arrest you. In in Baltimore, they have the military, the National Guard out there in their tanks, making sure that people are staying in their home because so many people still aren't taking this seriously. And so in another couple of weeks, I think the airlines are going to suspend their travel. I think the airports are going to close and we could see martial law out on the streets I don't uh, know about martial law in the u.s but i know with airlines emirates have canceled all flights from wednesday onwards so so yeah, yeah international was already getting canceled and now i mean it's for, for the united states uh, such a you know we're the land of the free and there's not a lot of freedom right now and even more freedom is going to be taken away this is unprecedented this is unheard it's never happened in u.s history ever yeah, it's crazy. I haven't heard anything about tanks, but I mean, I know for sure they're going around in New York that like, I haven't heard of arrests, but I know they're like, they're very, they're going to start fining you. I don't think they're going to arrest you, but I don't know. You may have heard otherwise. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is going to be pretty interesting because uh, you've definitely done a lot of marketing. You've done a lot of being an entrepreneur and the economy is going down the drain. So I'm sure listeners could maybe take some things away, but just going over, do you want to introduce some of your background information and uh, what you've done in the past? Yeah. So I, to give you a little bit of a, a quick overview of who I am, where I came from, what my background is, how I got to doing what I'm doing right now, it goes all the way back to my high school years. In 2005, mm. January 2005, the only business course that my high school offered uh, at the time the only business course they offered was called The Apprentice, and it was based on The Apprentice TV show. So I had an interest in business. I didn't really know much about it. I was, what, 15 years old? Yeah. And I, I just wanted to learn a little bit more because I remember growing up at my school and people would talk about how their, their dad was a businessman. And so I just was like, oh, let me just take this class and see what this business thing is all about. That was the seed that got planted in me. It was my first ever business course. 
And it was run very similarly to how the apprentice show was was run. Mm-hmm. And after that course, I was like, you know what, regardless of what I become, if it's a, a journalist, which I ended up going to school for, whether I'm a, become a journalist or I work on Wall Street or I work in sports, which I had a huge interest in, I said, I want to tie in business into whatever it is that I do. And so I ended up going to to school, went to journalism school. I went to Syracuse University undergrad. My three majors were broadcast and digital journalism, finance, and accounting. So uh, I got great experience working at, while I was in school, again, I'm going to keep this very short, but while mm-hmm. I was in school, I became a, a contract radio producer, AMFM radio producer. So I started contracting out, ended up at CNN radio, which was around back then. They're not around anymore, but they used to have private radio affiliates around the country. So I was assigned to the CNN radio affiliate out of Dallas, Texas. So I produced financial radio shows for them. They ended up selling the stations to Clear Channel Communications. So I became a contractor to Clear Channel Communications, one of the largest radio media companies in the country, in the world, really. And same thing, continued to produce financial radio shows. That was kind of like a side thing. I did it because I enjoyed doing it. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. I made good money. But while I was still in school, I also picked up a passion for finance and like investing and financial analysis. So mm-hmm. I worked on Wall Street for a little bit, worked at a large bold bracket bank, J.P. Morgan Chase in New York City, was stationed all around Manhattan, Jersey City, Brooklyn, Metro Tech. So I was there and worked at a value equity fund, went to Duke University for an accelerated MBA program, left, got a master's degree in management, left after a year to get that degree, never went back to finish the MBA. I sold the doors open for me to do that. I just never felt a need to go back and get another master's degree in business. But anyway, started working at the largest financial media company in the world. Well, actually, no, the largest financial marketing company in the world based in Baltimore, Maryland. So I lived in Baltimore for about three years. And at that company is where I learned all about online and digital marketing. Because my background to that date was in finance, accounting, management, business, broadcast and digital journalism, media, public communications, And I learned all about online and digital marketing and technology while I was at this company. And that gave me the vote of confidence and the support to go out on my own, start Krish Media and Marketing, which I did seven years ago. And so it's seven years strong. And uh, Krish Media and Marketing is now a digital marketing agency. We do anything and everything online and digital from design, web development, search engine optimization to social media, advertising, pay-per-click, podcast production, ebook publishing, copywriting, affiliate marketing, etc. So if it's online and digital, we likely have a, a solution for it. And through Chris Media on Marketing, I was able to just meet great people and get involved in other kind of private equity deals and also get into real estate investing. So that's that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So when we were discussing this over the email, I thought like some of the most fun things, because you were doing stuff with sports and we both love sports. In fact, Tonic, like I know you were talking about one of your dreams one day or (laughs) a thing that you wanted to do was, uh, what was it? I don't know. There's multiple dreams of sports. 
Uh, there's one to run a football club. The other one is to watch India in the World Cup final. You know, uh-huh. I think we, yeah, we all have dreams in sports. And I had dreams in sports. I actually, when I went to college at Syracuse, I went to become a sports reporter. And so I did a lot of, I told you, one of my majors was broadcast and digital journalism. And mm-hmm. you know, life changes, things change, your interests change. And I went to college and I kind of lost interest in sports and got more interested in business and finance. So I did a lot of business reporting, tech reporting, financial reporting. And on the sports side, though, I interned for the Houston Rockets. I interned for the Houston Astros. So both NBA and Major League Baseball. I interned for the Houston Rockets before. So right now, the Houston Rockets have a general manager by the name of Daryl Morey. I'm a huge Rockets fan. Okay, yeah. So so Daryl Morey is probably the most popular general manager in the NBA. And it's largely because... He's got personality. He's kind of nerdy, and he he throws this conference every year called the Sport the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Yeah, at MIT. At, at MIT, which is where he got his MBA, and that conference is, I think it's the most attended sports conference in at least in the country, maybe even the world. So he's kind of become a personality even beyond his being a, a an executive in, in the NBA. And so I interned for Daryl Morey when he was assistant general manager of the Houston Rockets back in 2007. And I was specifically assigned to his assistant, the assistant GM's assistant, who was Sam Hinkie. Sam Hinkie. Yeah, the Sixers GM. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Sam Hinkie ended up, what, six years later? becoming the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. (laughs) And he dubbed a term which which caught on called trust the process. And he's I mean, he's kind of become a martyr in the NBA. And I I think I think like a a legend in Philadelphia, because now these days, Philadelphia, the GM is all sort of messed up a little bit because they have not been anywhere as good. And so it's only a matter of time until Sam Hinkie comes back. I know it's his choice that he hasn't come back to the NBA. He's he's just gotten a lot of other great opportunities. So uh, anyway, I, I was under Sam Hinkie. I think I still have the letters that he sent me from 2007 and the 2008 drafts where I helped. I was basically like a, a video minion, just watching video and logging shots and logging some, some other data points that they were using when analyzing draft prospects. <laughs> going to say that's a lot of names I've never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard of all of them. It's all NBA stuff. So was it sort of very, I guess, I, you know, going to finance, that's sort of one of the staple areas that our culture tends to get into, along with STEM and lawyership and engineering and things like that. Just becoming sort of a journalist and becoming a more of a digital marketer. And, you know, you wrote a book in 2014, which we'll get to shortly about podcasting and how that's blown up. But was it sort of intimidating to go out on your own to do a lot of these things and just sort of blaze your own trail? Or was it something that was supported by your family? Because it's sort of traditional, to say the least. That's the important thing that you said. Was it supported by your family? Because all the other noise doesn't matter. And fortunately, I had a very supportive family from my father all the way down to my brother. Extremely supportive. But notice that I told you I didn't go just to to become a a journalist or a reporter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of the deal was 
okay, if you're you can do that, but you should take you sh- you should also get a degree in accounting, and because that's kind of you know like a safe Indian field to go into. So I was one of the rare rare students there who went there to become a reporter, but also got picked up degrees in finance and accounting both. So I was a triple major, and what 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 do my parents have to complain about? Because at that point it's like, well, you can pretty much. You could work at CNN, you could work at Clear Channel, you can work on the media side, you can work on the financial side, the business side. Like, they pretty much were like, you can do whatever you want. And once I started to kind of do well in my career in the corporate space, then it was, I, I think my family just kind of had the faith and trust that no matter what it is that I wanted to do, that I would I would be okay. Right. It's right to find someone else. Like- because I did a triple major, I guess, in similar sense, and it's very rare to see it outside the UK. Because in the US, you normally have that double minor, major minor system, or double major. Yeah, in the US, actually, most people just do one major. Yeah. They, they'll just do the bare minimum. You need a major to graduate? Okay, that's that's what I'll do. But the way I see it is, look, college is extremely expensive. When I went, it was a lot cheaper. It was not cheap, but it was a lot cheaper than it is today. College is is expensive, and you're only there. You know how long you're going to be there. At least you have an idea. It could be anywhere from three to five years, but generally it's four years. So just my philosophy back then and my philosophy now is you know you're going to be there in four years. So, And you know that you're spending a lot of money. So get everything that you can out of it, whether not just the degrees, but the activities, the friendships, the experiences, the internships, get everything you can out of it during those four years. Yeah, I think that's pretty solid advice to people. You don't have to do STEM and you don't have to do medicine, but as long as you try to make the most of it, you can finally succeed. You just have to keep pushing at it. That's sort of your general advice to people who might still be in college. Well, I work in technology now. My company really is a technology company at the end of the day because of the convergence of online marketing, online and digital with technology. But if I was forced to go into STEM, into the science or engineering or math, I wouldn't have made it because those aren't my interests. Like I I just, I don't like them. I didn't do well in them in high school. Look, everyone's different. And fortunately here in the United States, unlike in India, in India, it's not like this. In India, you have to get into engineering college or medical college. If if you don't get into engineering college or medical college, if you go to like commerce college or some other type of college, it has to be the absolute best schools. If you don't, then you're pretty much, you've hit a wall. Huge disadvantage, to say the but, least. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is in India. And that's why our parents' generation, it's really, you know, you got to become a doctor or an engineer. But here in the United States, capitalist nation, land of the free, innovation hub of the world, the the sky is the limit. You can drop out of college and become the founder of Facebook or Microsoft. You can study art history and become the founder of Apple. So it's very different here in the United States than it is in India. Just uh, one more thing before we talk about some of your work that you've done and some of the work you're coming up to, because a lot of it is going to be relevant in these weird times. But, you know, 
in our conversations through emails, we talk, you mentioned that you were a stay at home dad. And I want to know like um, a little bit about what made your decision to go towards that. Obviously it was a mutual decision between you and your spouse, but was there any sort of resistance to doing that first or do you just jump in? No, that was something that we talked about even before we got married, before we got engaged. I've been running my businesses out of wherever my home's been, whether it was Baltimore or I used to live on the beach here in Florida. Now we live in a house in in Tampa Bay. So I've been a stay-at-home worker for seven years full-time now. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of agreed that when we did have kids that I would help out a lot around the house and with parenting. And so just being at home, being there for my son as he grows up, he's only two months old right now, but being at home, being there, seeing him every day. I mean, to be quite frank, the first few months for a baby, there's not a lot going on. And it's really, I think it's more of a motherly, especially with breastfeeding and all that. There's only so much that a man can do outside of Mm -hmm. changing a few diapers. But as he gets older, I think that's when, to me, I think the years one and two, those are the most crucial years because at year three, we're going to start sending him to school and the the school system's going to basically, I don't want to say they're going to take care of him, but he's going to be part of it. But years one and two is really when I'm going to be able to spend a lot of time with him and expose him to, to, to stuff. And so I already have a plan figured out where I'm basically going to be homeschooling him for those first two years and just getting him ready so that when he goes off to school, when he's three years old, he'll hopefully be ahead of his class and be very skilled at the age of three. Yeah. I was going to say, sending a child to school at age three sounds so weird to me because I didn't think I did any schooling until I was around six. Well, I don't think... Again, our our parents' generation, they didn't send us to school until the government made you go to school for kindergarten. So I actually, we started, my brother and I started school when we were three. And people were saying, like Americans were saying, oh, that's so late to start school. Why are you starting so late? Because in our culture, it's more, you know, spending time with the the kids, at least the mother. In in my case, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Mm. So uh, spending more time with the kids but it's you'll be surprised. I have friends who have six-month-olds, one-year-olds, and they're already going to school. School, you can call it a daycare. You can call it a nursery. But their parents are I, – I think it's school because they're actually learning stuff. And they're being – it's not just babysitting. It's actual learning that's going on there. So it's, it's become very common, even with our generation of Indians – to to send the the baby I mean, they're still babies but to send the babies off to school at one years old two years old here in the u.s at least yeah i guess it's more of a matter of terminology it's like yeah daycare but it is you are learning stuff <laughs> so no i think uh and i guess preschool is four to five but daycare itself you know i think it's your kid i think that's a probably a good plan <laughs> why why dissuade that was there any sort of pushback just, uh, I don't know if you're, you know, in just, I guess, is there any pushback in general or is this just something that you're pretty eager to do regardless? Because it worked for you in general. No, there's so far, there's been no pushback. My wife is a physician. Surprise. Mm-hmm. She's Indian. Um, <laughs> so, so she, she works half the year and I'm actually even trying to get her to scale back to work out a deal with her 
employer to scale back even more. So she's only working about two to three days a, a week on average. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. But either way, worst case scenario is she works half the year. And so I think our, our son's just very lucky that he's he's going to have two parents who, who spend a lot of time at home with, with him. And on top of that, look, I, I still have to travel for business. Obviously, right now, there's no traveling going on. So right. I'm at home, but it's actually the longest I've gone without flying in 15 years with the birth of my son, plus what's happened with with the economy and the uh, Wuhan virus. But yeah, it's been 15 years since I haven't taken taken a flight. And But anyway, once once things get back up and running, generally I travel about once a month. Right. And after after my, or when my wife was pregnant, I told her that I'd likely scale that back to once a quarter. Makes sense. So well, let's get into some of your topics because are some of the things that you're most knowledgeable in. And of course, if you want to listen to more of that, Naresh just started a podcast of his own and we can talk a little about that right now because it's going to be more relevant than yes. ever. Yes. The work from home show. I, that's what I'm most excited about because right. we just launched a podcast called the work from home show. And by the time this this episode airs with with you, the show is going to be completely live, and it's man, I can't even tell you how well it's going because it's called the Work From Home Show. It's the only show dedicated to working from home. Surprisingly, if you go on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, there's not a show dedicated to working from home. There are shows that cover like different like online marketing where you can work from home. But there's not a show dedicated to leaving your desk job or asking your employer to work from home and how to make that transition. So we literally just started it. And it's like it was like a rocket launch the way that it's grown because all of a sudden tens of millions of people around the world, not just in the United States, but around the world were told by their employers hey, you can't come into the office tomorrow. You're going to have to work from home. Right. And so fortunately for me, my company, Krish Media and Marketing, we have all that infrastructure in place to launch a podcast. So we have the web designers, the web developers, the logo designers. We have the audio editors, the, the podcast marketers, the copywriters. We have all that in-house. So we literally became, we went from nothing no idea, no nothing to up and running in a matter of one weekend. It was a Friday morning when I contacted my co-host who works for Christian Media and Marketing. And he also, he's an independent contractor for us who works from home in Austin, Texas. And that was Friday morning when we talked and had a meeting. And we recorded episodes and did all the backend stuff and boom, we were up and running, and it took us about a week and a half to actually go public with our promotional efforts, take care of everything. So it's been awesome. And like I said, we're already getting listener emails and questions and people following us on social media. And the, the listen, like I said, the, the stats, and the, the numbers have just been it's like a rocket ship just going up, up, up. And, and I did a, a decent amount of promoting to grow the show with our marketers, which I'm, I'm sure helped. But it's, I think at the end of the day, it's just being able to put together a good product under such a short period of time 
in a very timely fashion. And really, this was the perfect time to launch a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. It it just worked out extremely well, and I'm just thankful for it. And we'll see how it does moving forward. No, it's great. So, uh, I mean, obviously, if you want to get proper advice, listen to the show. And there's some episodes out, but it's fully launching tomorrow, like uh, Narish said. But what's one key tip that uh, you talk about in more detail, but you can just give us a short blip here? Well, two things. There's a macroeconomic perspective of work from home. So really around the world, this concept of work from home, you might think, oh, you know, once this coronavirus is done and my employers, I'm going to go back to my job. No. Industries, job functions are changing as we speak. Just Mm -hmm. in the last three weeks of this pandemonium, the world has changed. Business has changed. So this idea and concept of work from home, it is not temporary. This is going to end up becoming permanent because companies are now real. And we've interviewed guests on the show. They're going to be coming on. We're going to be publishing those episodes. But companies... CEOs, CFOs, founders are realizing, hey, you know what? This Wuhan virus kind of told me that I can run a way more profitable business doing delivery only, or I can run a way more profitable business having my workers work from home and I don't have to pay $100,000 a year in commercial real estate, in a commercial real estate lease. Mm -hmm. And already we've interviewed several folks who said, that they're not renewing their lease when it's up at the end of the year or next year because work from home, they found their workers to be even more productive than they were in the office. So for those who may have made that transition working from home, be prepared for your travel to get cut back, all those hotel stays and those per diems that you get from your employer, those are going to get cut back. Be prepared for these online meetings, Skype meetings, Zoom meetings, the way you work is going to change. And look, for me, I've been talking about this for years because this is the way I've been working. I've, I was kind of a, a first mover when it comes to working from home and building a business from home and making money from home, which we talk about on our show. That's really what our show is all about. Right. But now it's going to be applied on a massive global scale. And I was going to say, like, the one thing... I- like from my friends who do a lot of commuting, their favorite thing is no more commuting when it comes to working from home and having all those extra hours over the years, like saved up essentially to do, as you're saying, be more productive so they can just focus on their work. It also buys you a lot more free time. Absolutely. And I can't tell you when I started, when I moved full time working from home back in 2013, the extra free time allowed me to focus on myself my body. I was going to the gym every day. I was reading a lot of books. I was learning a lot about my craft and my profession so I could become better at what I did. You can't do that going into an office. You can't read a book at the office. If you're caught reading a book about your industry at the office, you, you'll you get fired. You can't do that. And, but in my case, for all those people working from home, start listening to some podcasts, start listening to some audiobooks. You're going to have more time to exercise and eat healthy and go to the gym or just work out at home, it's the quality of life is just way, way better. And you'll get more sleep. That's really important too. You're going to get a lot more sleep and you'll be more energized during the day. I remember when I was working full time at JP Morgan and some of these other places, 
I'd come home from work and the last thing I wanted to do was improve myself or work. I just wanted to sit back and watch TV and eat a meal and go to sleep because I was so tired and beat up. That's not the case when you're working from home. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I always, I get up early to go to the gym because I you know after work, I won't feel like moving my body. So that's why I force myself to get up early and I like getting up early anyways, but like just being home or working from home, like I can get up a little bit later because the work time starts at the same time, but I don't have to commute. I don't have to come back and take a shower right away or anything like that. So it's a little bit less stressful, but <laughs> I wonder how the sort of not seeing other coworkers in person will affect that. And I guess we'll find out relatively soon. What are your thoughts? I think it's going to make people, it, it, it's not going to be a challenge at all because what people are going to realize is they can have more of their own lives. They can take control of their own lives. And so work is going to become secondary to them. They'll do good work. They'll do a good job at their work. But now they've got that gym to go to. They've got other hobbies and things that they can focus on. And so when it comes to work, it's just very business related. So now all that water cooler talk where you're spending 45 minutes talking about Game of Thrones and what happened on the late, latest episode, that's going to be gone. That 45 minutes of time is going to be spent doing something more productive. So I think it's a good thing. And even with my own business, we try to limit the amount of FaceTime that we have with, with clients, with each other, because our goal is to provide good service. Our goal is not to sit back and drink a beer and hang out. Our, we're, we're very business-oriented and, and bottom-line-oriented. And people love it. They absolutely love it because I'm not on them. I'm not asking about their personal lives and how their trips were and how their family's doing. They don't want to talk about that with me. And I don't want to talk about that with them. So it, it's very business-oriented, which, which is how I like. As a business owner, I like that. Well, so that's very different to, I guess, the field where my family works in and where I spend time in, where everything is about spending time with your client, getting to know your client, and trying to figure out, because it's a trading firm, and you're trying to get the tr client to invest and to trust you, no matter how good of a product you or service you provide. It's always about trying to spend more time with them and eke out more cash. And, and the way you say it, it's, you know, it's just bottom line. I can see that it, it varies sector from sector. Well, it has. It has in the past. But, but the, the way our economy is changing in, in a matter of two, three weeks, it, it's going to be very different. You'll, you'll notice it. I think you'll notice it in your own firm that it's going to be quite different. I think it is changing slowly as like the old guard moves out because it's generally older clients who want to spend more time chatting with you. But what I was going to ask was, was more about internal structures within the company. So, you know, you don't have all that, uh, as he's called it, uh, water cooler talk. But then how do you make sure that as a team, everyone's going to gel as well together? Yeah, well, part of the process in going remote is digitizing your team. And so I think the key is whether it's you as a business owner or hiring a good project manager who's going to be able to manage all the different projects and manage the, the virtual teams. And so my company, the way that we manage our projects, because we got so many different projects going on at once, we put everything in writing so people know what they're supposed to be doing, what their deadline is, what project they're responsible for. And we try to hire the best people that we can 
for each division that we have. Mm. So that way, when we set these hard deadlines and they agree to these deadlines, we know when the work's going to be delivered and we know the quality of the work since we're only trying to hire the best people at the lowest possible price. So when you put things in writing, now all of a sudden people can't give you that excuse. Oh, you didn't tell me this. You didn't tell me that. Well, it's in writing and you agreed to it. You said here, whether it's on Slack or on email or on Basecamp or whatever project management system you use, you put it down in writing and you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And so when it comes to collaboration, look, I don't micromanage my, my folks. And in fact, because most of the people who work for us are independent contractors, they're free to collaborate. They know how much they're getting paid. If they want to go out and hire someone to do the work for them, go right ahead because we're paying them. They've agreed how much to get paid. So however they get the work done, whether they do it themselves or they have subcontractors or whatever, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care as long as the work gets done at the deadline that's given in a high quality fashion. Yeah, I guess uh, times are changing and we'll probably, I, I think, maybe in my workplace. So, I mean, we're going to see. It's going to be a couple of months to say the least. But so I think that's a good place to start wrapping it up. But definitely gave us so much to think about. But we usually have a, a tradition on Chinese because we have a lot of Indian <laughs> guests. That uh, and sometimes we forget because I'm pretty scattered, my scatterbrained, but we do have a tradition. So, what's your favorite Indian comfort food that you like to go to? You're talking like a restaurant or just a general? Um, just at home, like you know, when you're thinking of home cooking, like I always say, my mom's rava dosa uh, or something like that. You know, something that reminds you of home and something like that. I guess. Well, I'm a fan when it comes to home food. Um, I'm a fan. I'm South Indian. I'm Telugu by background. And so I'm a huge fan of the South Indian staples like the rasam and the yellow dal and the potato fry. Also the okra, the, yeah. the, the fried okra. Those are my four favorites. Stay along. You, you got to top it all off with the curd rice. So that's kind of my I could eat that every, you know, once a day and I'm good. My wife is Gujarati, so her family is more Gujarati food. <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta say, you know, I'm I feel healthy eating Gujarati food, but it's not the most popular. It's not the most popular Indian staple out there, and that's why they're like literally they're like there's like one Gujarati restaurant in the city that I live in, Tampa, Florida, and in most cities, it's just not a popular staple because it's. Uh, I remember even at my wedding, there were a bunch of people who didn't stay for lunch because they were like, "Yeah, we'd rather eat the Punjabi food somewhere else." <laughs> <laughs> um, thoughts Sonic <laughs> uh, I, I, as Chinese friends are doing Gujarati um, ha- thoughts well obviously I want to caveat first of all that I'm East African Gujarati so it's a di- slightly different cuisine but it's mainly the like with traditional Gujarati food it's very sweet like they put a lot of sugar in the food and like so dals are, very, are sweet and kadis are sweet which for Indian people, at least my family is the anti-sweet. It's yeah. it's got to be it's got to be hot, spicy. Yeah, That's which <laughs> exactly, which is like the difference with East African Gujaratis have a lot more spice in their food and a lot less sugar. That's like the big telltale. So for me, when we have people like say sweet dal, I'm like that's horrible, that's disgusting because dal tastes so much better when you use more spices. <laughs> Those were the same terms that I heard during my <laughs> wedding. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, 
like I said, I feel healthy. It's a lot of vegetables, not a lot of fried stuff, not a lot of oil. So I, I like it, you know, I, I like it, but, but look, the popular restaurants here in Tampa Bay where people are waiting in lines to eat at, they're the fully vegetarian South Indian Thali type of places or South Indian buffet type of places or the like hardcore Punjabi, you know, butter chicken, lamb curry, paneer butter masala, mm -hmm. you know, more unhealthy buttery type of stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say you're missing out on a lot of Gujarati food if you're not getting a lot of the fried stuff because all the snacks, like the Gujarati snacks, are deep fried, full of oil, <laughs> salt, and are very addicting. Are you talking like kaman, dokla, that type of stuff, or are uh, you talking like like gantia, chevra? I'm talking about gachuris, like proper thick bakaris, like. These are all words I've never heard before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've learned them. Over the last four years, I've been learning them. It sounds like an explosion. It's probably Gujarati. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's food that's hard to cook. Like, it, it's not, it looks so simple and easy, but it's not. And that's why most Indians who aren't Gujarati don't cook Gujarati food, whereas everyone's trying to learn Idli, Vada, Dosas, uh, Punjabi food. And... <laughs> And so, like, I remember we went to, when, when we were getting married, we went to a Punjabi restaurant owned by South Indian Telugu people, because everybody cooks Punjabi food. And he was like, oh, yeah, we can cook Gujarati food. So we went in for a food tasting, and they completely obliterated the food. Like, they burnt half of it. And, and then he came and told us, he said, oh, you know, our chef, he's a really good chef, but he just... He doesn't know Gujarati food. He's not very good at it. And so fortunately, we did that food taste because otherwise our wedding would have become a disaster. But it's difficult to cook Gujarati food. Yeah, think about restaurants in London. There aren't many Gujarati restaurants, even though there's a huge Gujarati population. And part of me wants to say it is hard to cook. But also, I don't think Gujarati people want to go out to eat more they Gujarati exactly. food. Well, it's not for the Gujarati food. It's, it, it's for... The other people, like us, you know, growing up, because we in Houston, we had one Gujarati restaurant. And my parents loved going there because it was the only Gujarati restaurant in town. And my parents are not Gujarati. But my brother and I were like, we don't want to go there. There's no buttered chicken. There's no, <laughs> there's no paneer. Like, what is this place? You know, like, why do you guys keep wanting to come here? And they're my parents. I've been vegetarian for the last 10 years, but my brother eats everything. And... That's the other thing. I think if you eat meat, you just, Gujarati food is not your thing. That's true, because I'm also vegetarian my entire life. Oh, so you're vegetarian. Just talk to <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not vegetarian, so <laughs> what your brother does sounds like that's more my style. Well, same. I'm, I'm vegetarian, so I'm okay with it. But I told you, like, a group of guys who, who came to our wedding, I think only one was vegetarian. No, maybe two. And the rest were non-vegetarian. And the non-vegetarian Gujaratis, they themselves are like, oh, could you food? No, no, I don't know. <laughs> Just a state of utter confusion. <laughs> so no, that was great to wrap up on. So we just wanted to ask if you, besides your new podcast, The Work From Home Show, that is going fully live. Of course, there's already some episodes that have been pre-released on the website. But if you have anything else to plug, of course, you have some books, Fifty Shades of Marketing, which was a bestseller in the green books category. 
Castonomics that Josh actually came out in 2014, looking kind of prescient. So if you have anything else to plug, uh, well, let me say this. We've talked a lot about the economy. It's a very, this is a transformational time for a lot of industries. I think tech, it has weathered the storm and tech is going to be okay. Parts of healthcare have done extremely well, but other parts of healthcare are, there's zero activity going on. But I want to plug my books. Just go on Amazon, type in my name, Naresh Vissa, and I'm going to run a special, it's a Wuhan virus special where you just look at any of the books available on Amazon and just contact me. Go to my website, nareshvisa.com, N-A-R-E-S-H-V as in victory, I-S as in Sam, another S as in Sam, A as in Apple, V-I-S-S-A, nareshvisa.com. And just contact me, get on my mailing list and contact me through the website and tell me which book you want free of charge, special, like I said, Wuhan virus special, where... I'll send you a free copy of any book of your choosing, and it'll be your choice of the Kindle version, or I think even better during these times is the the audiobook version. So I'll send you an Audible code, an Amazon or Audible code, where you can get any of those books free of charge. So we'll make sure that the instructions I'll put into the podcast description. Yeah, that'll be uh, right under like what let's talk about. So yeah, that's... We'll have all the links. We'll have your Amazon author page. We're not going to have each individual book link, but we'll have your Amazon author page. And of course, like Narish said, feel free to contact him, ask about the audiobook special with the Wuhan virus and things like that. But that's going to wrap it up for now. Again, shout outs to everybody who's listening in California, New York, UK, Florida, all that. I know life, t- times are tough. Hopefully, we'll be able to entertain you with more people and have, get you on more guests like Narish who can give you some solid advice and of course we're going to plug our own social media chai noon show and uh instagram chai.noon.show but yeah thanks so much for listening and uh we'll talk to y'all later